0: Uh, evening, everyone. Uh, my name's Mark. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's my uh, my privilege tonight to be preaching and uh, sharing God's Word with you guys. Uh, if it's not already obvious, I'm a little bit incapacitated at the moment, so I'm going to be staying put here tonight. I hope that's okay. Hopefully you can all see me all right. Uh, I can't really see you that much, but that's okay. Uh, this evening, we're going to be starting the next phase of our sermon series. We've been doing this series called Digging Deeper, where we've been tackling some pretty tricky theological topics over the course of this term. And I get the privilege now for the next three weeks of talking to you guys about eschatology. Eschatology, ooh, it's a big word. Uh, I want to do a little quick survey to begin with. Uh, Can you chuck your hand in the air if you have heard the word eschatology before? How many people? That's pretty good, okay. Uh, Keep your hands in the air if you think you know what that word means, right? You could use it in a sentence and get away with it, yeah? Okay, that's like about 20%. I think you guys actually might have the highest response rate out of all the congregations, so props to you guys. Uh, For the rest of us, uh, eschatology is just a a theological word that refers to the end times. Uh, The Greek word eschaton is just the word that means last things, And so the study of eschatology is the study, really, of how the world's going to end. That's what we're going to be looking at for the next three weeks. Doesn't that sound good? Now, uh, maybe there is a possibility, as I I tell you that that's where we're going in the next three weeks, that you might be, as I think many Australian Christians are, a little bit confused about why we would even bother doing this. Are you asking that question? Why is the end time something that's worth our time studying here at church? Like... It's kind of pointless to study it, isn't it? Like we know, we know roughly what's going to happen. We can trust God. We know it's all going to pan out in the end. So why would we bother doing this? You think about that? Well, I want to try and convince you that this is something that's worth our time doing. Uh, because really, when you, when you think about it, the Christian life is a journey, isn't it? Most fundamentally, it is a journey towards God. Uh, In one sense, the the Christian life is like a pilgrimage, right? We are pilgrims going through the world towards a new world that we were created for. And so just like any long, tough journey that you might go on in your life, it makes total sense. It's logical, it's reasonable to think about the destination that you are headed for, right? Would you agree? Like if, if you were organizing a holiday, like a hiking holiday, and you went to a travel agent and you said, Right, I want to book a holiday. I want these kind of roads. Like, I want to know kind of how difficult it's going to be, like how steep, whatever. I wanted to start here. So, can you, like, book me some flights to, to this point on the globe? But I don't want you to tell me where the walk goes. Like, I'm not interested in that. Like, I just want to walk. I don't care about where it's going. Like, you wouldn't do that, would you? That's crazy. Nobody would, make, would book a holiday that way. Can I say how much more it would be bizarre in the Christian life? to really not give much thought to where we are going, to what our destination is. Uh, No, I think that studying eschatology is actually going to be really worth our time. It makes a lot of sense, and I think we're going to find over these three weeks that looking ahead to where we are going as Christians, that that's going to actually really help us along the way. It's going to motivate us. It's going to help us stay on track to know that we're heading in the right direction. Uh, I'm really excited about studying eschatology with you guys and sharing some of this kind of often neglected topic that we don't really talk about all that much. Uh, so I'm going to pray for us before we get started, and then we're going to have a think about the first topic that we're looking at, which is the return of Jesus. I'll let you know as well uh, that we're going to do a Q&A after uh, the sermon. A little bit later on, so if you get questions or thoughts or whatever, you can text them into that phone number it 's in the top right corner, and i 'll do my best to try and answer as many of them as I can all right why don 't we pray and then we 'll have a think about the return of Jesus, Lord God, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he came to earth to live a perfect life that we could not live, that he died a death that we deserved to die, that he was resurrected from the grave, and that he returned to be with you. Thank you for that promise of the gospel of forgiveness and of adoption as your children. And thank you, God, for the promise of Christ's return. Uh, God, as we think about uh, this hope that we have ahead of us tonight, pray that you'd please be helping us by your Holy Spirit, not just to understand these truths, but to incorporate them, to drive them deep into our hearts so that our lives are changed as a result of it. So we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so the first topic, first cab off the rank is we're thinking about Christ's return. And I think this is a good place for us to start our study of eschatology because I think that Christ's return is actually a bit of a blind spot for us. I wonder if you maybe agree with me on this, that, you know, in our Christian vocabulary, we get very good at talking about Christ's death. Uh, we, we really understand Jesus' death really well. We can talk about it back to front. You know, we know what to give thanks for for it. We know what to pray for about Jesus' death. Like, it's central to us, right? And then when you think about Jesus' resurrection, like, we understand that probably just a little bit less. You know, we, we get the main idea of it. We kind of get some of the implications of it. But if you're anything like me, well, you probably pray about that a little bit less. It sort of doesn't come up in conversation quite as much. And then compare that to the return of Jesus, I'm not, I don't think, uh, any different to the rest of you to say that the return of Jesus is, is pretty mysterious, isn't it? Like, the stuff that the Bible says about it is kind of confusing. It's hard to understand. It's hard to know what we should feel about the return of Jesus. And so I think it's actually, it's pretty rare for us to pray about the return of Jesus. It's rare for us to talk about it. It's very rare for us to preach about it. Now, when it comes to the return of Jesus, I think it's fair to say that most of us know it's going to happen, but we don't know much more beyond that. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that in this series, uh, and tonight even, that we're going to be able to kind of rectify that a little bit, because the return of Jesus is a major, major point in our Christian belief. It's a major idea in the New Testament. Did you know that in the 27 books of the New Testament, 24 of those books talk about the return of Jesus? It is scattered all throughout the New Testament. The three books that don't talk about it, they're the three shortest books of the New Testament, so it's, you know, it's just that they didn't have space. It's not that like, they contradict it or anything. There are 260 chapters across those 27 New Testament books, 260 chapters. Anybody want to guess, who didn't come to church this morning, how many references there are to the return of Jesus across those 260 chapters? Any guesses? 50? Keep going. Up? Keep going. <laughs> Less than nine hundred. There's over three hundred references to the return of Jesus. The point I'm trying to make to you is that this is not like some peripheral issue. This is a central issue. It is on just about every page of the New Testament. And I want to tell you as well that the return of Jesus is it's a major part of the gospel message. You know that, that gospel message that we trust in for our salvation? It is critical that we believe in and that we understand the return of Jesus. Otherwise, our gospel begins to fall apart. I wonder if you've ever thought about this, how, how the gospel would actually not be good news if Jesus was not going to return. Uh, think about the promise in the gospel that one day, because of Christ's death for us, we are going to be able to stand in the presence of God, forgiven and righteous, accepted by God. Right? That's, that's our hope in the gospel. Do you realize that, that that would not happen if Christ doesn't return to take us to God? It, that promise rests on the return of Jesus. But what about the promise in the gospel of a resurrection body, right? We, we look forward to that, don't we? That one day we are going to be able to live in bodies that have, have not been corrupted by sin. Christ the first fruits has won that for us, right? But you realize that promise would be worth nothing if Christ doesn't return to raise the dead, We need the return of Jesus. What about the promise of that that future world that we're looking forward to? That perfected world where we are going to dwell with God forever in a new heavens and a new earth. You know, unless Christ comes back and judges this world, then that promise would be worth nothing. The gospel would be a bunch of empty promises unless Jesus returns. And so I, I want you to understand that this is important stuff that we're talking about tonight. It's not just for those like, fanatical far-out weirdos who are like obsessed with the end times. We should be obsessed, rightly, with the end times. And so what I want to do tonight, give you a layout of kind of where I'm going. I want to try and answer for you three basic questions. And in answering these questions, I think we're going to cover, we're going to survey the majority of what the New Testament teaches about the return of Christ. There's much more that we could say, but this will, this will touch on the, the, the major things. The three questions that I'm going to cover are these. Uh, What will Christ's return be like? Uh, Secondly, when is it going to happen? And thirdly, what should be our response to Christ's return? Okay, they're the three questions. That's where we're going. So let's dive right in. What is Christ's return going to be like? What does the New Testament teach us about Christ's return? Well, I want to give you four quick answers to this, just four sort of one-word answers. Uh, The first thing, I think, that the New Testament teaches us about Christ's return is that it is going to be physical, Jesus return is going to be physical. That is when Jesus returns on that final day, it's not just it's not going to be some vision, right? Jesus is not going to be live streamed from heaven so that we can kind of see him. No, Jesus is going to return. Jesus himself is going to return. We get this idea from a whole bunch of places, but in Acts chapter 1, beginning of the book of Acts, where Jesus ascends back into heaven and the disciples are standing there staring up into the sky and the angels come to them and they say, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. You see, it'll be Jesus himself who returns, Jesus in the flesh That body that he ascended into heaven with, that body with the nail marks in his hands, with the hole in his side, that's how Jesus is going to return. It's going to be physical, real, tangible. That's the first thing. The second thing the Bible tells us is that Christ's return, it's going to be visible. This is great. Christ's return is going to be visible. You get told this in a whole bunch of places. Uh, For example, Revelation chapter 1, we get told that when Christ returns, every eye will see him. Now, I've got to confess to you that I have no idea how that's going to work. I cannot even come close to getting my head around the logistics of this. Like, how are we all going to see Jesus when he returns? I don't really understand that. Uh, But the point is that we will see him, right? And this is going to be different to his first coming, because everyone's going to see him. Not just a, a select group of people in a select place in the world at a select time. No, everyone is going to see Jesus when he returns. And so that's why Jesus tells his disciples, you know, those kinds of stories in like Matthew 24, where he says, if people come to you and they say, Oh, the Messiah's returned, you know, he's over there. Let's go and come on, find him. He's returned. Jesus says, Don't listen to them. No. <laughs> when I return, it'll be unmistakable. It's going to be unmissable. You won't have to ask the question. Will, has Jesus returned? In fact, if you can still ask that question, has Jesus returned, that means no, he hasn't. Because when he returns, it's going to be visible. That's the second thing. Thirdly, uh, we know that when Jesus comes, he will come triumphantly. Jesus is going to return triumphantly. He's going to come in victory. I'll give you one example. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, Paul writes this. Uh, and when the lawless one will be and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Okay, Paul here is speaking about this person called the lawless one, which is some kind of mysterious person who's going to appear in the future. And and Paul says that when Jesus comes, what's he going to do? He's going to overthrow this lawless one by the breath of his mouth. Isn't that an image of immense power, that's all it's going to take for Jesus to overthrow him, (laughs) he's gone. What is he going to do? He is going to destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Now, that word that Paul writes there, the word overthrow, in the original language, it's actually a way harsher word than that. It's the word for kind of slaying or killing. You see, when Jesus returns, when he comes a second time, what's he going to do? He's going to crush his enemies Isn't that amazing? When Jesus came the first time, he defeated his enemies. He won that victory over sin, death, and the devil as he hung there on the cross. But when he returns a second time, he's going to abolish his enemies. They're going to be wiped off the face of existence. If you're familiar with kind of World War II history, this is the difference between D-Day and V-Day. You know, the war was won at D-Day, that decisive battle. And yet victory was not complete until V-Day, and so it will be when Christ returns. He will come triumphantly. The immediate implication of this, as Christ comes as this amazing ruler of the whole universe, every single one of us is going to fall to our knees in front of this king. You know, some people, hopefully us, we're going to fall to our knees willingly, gladly, worshipping this king for who he is. But there's going to be people who fall to their knees begrudgingly, having been forced to acknowledge that this is the king of kings and lord of lords. This is going to come triumphantly. Now, look, I don't know what Jesus' plan is for people like me who can't really fall to their knees if he were to return in the next few weeks, but I'm sure he's got a contingency plan. He'll figure it out. The point is, though, that Jesus is going to come in victory, right? Triumphant. Fourthly, lastly, Jesus is going to come gloriously. He's going to come gloriously. The New Testament, from time to time, it gives us these kind of amazing glimpses into that picture of what Jesus will be like when, when he returns. And the writers of the New Testament so frequently, it just feels like they can't really find the words to describe what they're seeing. It's as if this, this return of Jesus is too big for language to contain. And so you get verses like this from 2 Thessalonians 1, uh, where Paul writes, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. You know, these, these pictures of authority and power and majesty. Or maybe you're familiar with that really famous picture of Jesus in Revelation chapter 19, where it says that Jesus is going to come like a rider on a white horse, uh, that Jesus is going to come with eyes like blazing fire, With many crowns on his head, he's going to come wearing a robe dipped in blood with a sword coming out of his mouth, with the armies of heaven coming behind him. Now, I don't think that pictures like this are supposed to scare us. They're not even supposed to be taken literally. This is metaphor, right? They're not trying to actually tell us that Jesus will look like this when he comes back, I don't think. But they are trying to tell us something real. They are trying to tell us that the picture of Jesus, when we see him face to face, will be more glorious than we could possibly imagine. Uh, One of the words that the New Testament uses to describe that kind of appearing of Jesus, the word that is translated there as reveal in 2 Thessalonians 1, it's the Greek word apocalypsis. And that's where we get our English word apocalypse from. And really what that word means is it's like this idea of a kind of a display, a reveal. You imagine sort of like pulling the curtain back and voila, you see it, see what's behind. The idea is that when Jesus returns, we are going to have the curtain of reality pulled back. We're going to see Jesus as he truly is, the glorious, risen, reigning King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, I don't know how you feel about that prospect of the glorious return of Jesus. But can I tell you that it brings me great joy to think about that? It really does. To think that, that one day, every single person is going to see Jesus in the way that I see Jesus already. That out there, that on that final day, everybody in the world who overlooks Jesus, everyone out there in the world who mocks Jesus and belittles Jesus... They're going to see Jesus as he really is. They're going to have no choice. All eyes are going to be on him. And it's going to be glorious. So, there are four things that the Bible teaches us of what it will be like when Christ returns. I want to move briefly onto this question of uh, when Christ will return. You know, what does the Bible tell us about the timing of? Of Jesus' return. It's a really juicy question. So much ink has been spilled on this, and I think unnecessarily, because the very first thing that we have to say when we ask this question is to say that, well, the return of Jesus will come at an unknown time. I'm really sorry to, if that disappoints you. You know, if you came to church tonight hoping that I was going to have like a save the date card for you that you could, you know, pop it in your calendar, and know when Jesus is returning. I don't have that answer. I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 24. Uh, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. That's a really interesting verse. It raises some very interesting questions, which we can debate another time. But the point is that nobody knows when Jesus is coming back. And so, of course, all of those efforts that people go to, to you know, try and synchronize these prophecies from the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, and to interpret world events and figure out when things are going to happen, all of that is completely futile. Now, as a young Christian, uh, I've been a Christian for about six months, uh, I, was misgui- I, I was taken in by some, some misguided teaching on this topic. Uh, somebody I know gave me a tract to read that was apparently about the end of the world, about the return of Jesus, and I didn't know any better, and so I read this tract, and it quoted the Bible a whole lot, and I didn't really have any reason to doubt it, and so I just took it on board as, as the truth. And on the back of reading this and believing this, there was a period in my Christian life, it was a short window, where I firmly believed that Jesus was due to return, that his return had been scheduled, in fact, for within the next two years. I was was very fortunate to have some wise Christian friends who helped bring me back to reality, pointing me to verses like this, reminding me that if even the Son of God doesn't know when he's returning, then Mark, you probably don't even know yourself. Jesus' return is going to be unknown. Uh, And not only that, his return is also going to be unexpected. That's the second thing the New Testament teaches about the timing of Jesus' return. It's going to come and we don't expect it. Uh, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman. Now, I'm going to try and remember this lesson when my wife Catherine goes into labour in about four weeks from now. I'm sure it's going to be really helpful, and Catherine's going to appreciate it. And I go, "Oh, right! It's like the return of Jesus. Oh, that's helpful, isn't it? It's so suddenly." She's going to love me for that. Unknown, unexpected, but God also wants us to know that the return of Jesus is going to come soon. The return of Jesus is coming soon. Now, there's a balance that we've got to kind of strike here because uh, what, think about what Jesus says at the uh, very end of the book of Revelation, Revelation 22.20. Yes, I am coming soon. It's the last words Jesus ever speaks in the New Testament. What a promise. I am coming soon. There's a balance we've got to strike with this, right? We've got to understand this somehow. He means something when he says, I'm coming soon. He didn't mean 2,000 years. So what did he mean? Well, I think the way to understand it is that From God's perspective, there is nothing now that stands in the way of Jesus' return. From God's perspective, on God's calendar, if you like, the very next thing that God is doing is sending his son back to wrap up history. I think that's how we're supposed to understand it. And so you and I, we should have a conscious expectation, I think, that Jesus' return could be at any time. We should be on the edge of our seats, so to speak expecting Jesus to return. He's coming soon. And yet, the last thing that the New Testament wants to tell us is that the return of Jesus is being delayed. It's being delayed. (laughs) now please don't mishear me I'm not telling you that Jesus is like running late somehow like he's missed his cab and you know find another way of coming here or something no the Bible does say that that God is postponing the return of Jesus in some sense so Peter explains it this way he says but do not forget this one thing dear friends with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day the Lord is not Slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, instead He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Isn't that a a beautiful promise? (laughs) I think this is really important for us to understand because I, I, I do believe that there are some people here amongst us at church who feel deeply frustrated that the return of Jesus has not happened yet. And I want to sympathize with you if you are feeling that frustration. You know, you, you pray those kind of prayers like, Jesus, if you could just return like before I have to sit my final exams, that would really do me a solid, please, Jesus. Jesus, if you, if you could just return before I have to go through that cancer treatment, that would be great, please, Jesus. And then... Jesus doesn't answer those prayers. He doesn't come back. And so you're left there thinking, God, why have you you left me here? Why do I still have to live in this world? Why, God, can you not just come back already and wrap things up? You know that feeling? Peter says to us, listen, guys, you've got to understand, God's not being slow. He's not slow as we understand it. Do you understand why God hasn't returned yet? It's because he's patient. It's because he loves you. That's why he hasn't returned. God is delaying the return of Jesus because he wants people to be saved. I was thinking about this this week. I've been at Wollongong Baptist for a little over 18 months now. If Jesus had returned 18 months ago, you know, some people in this room here, you look around, some people in this room would be in hell right now. That's that's not a popular thing to say, but it's the truth. Some of us in this room were not ready for Jesus to return 18 months ago. God is delaying the return of Jesus because he wants people to be saved. He's being patient in delaying that day because he wants everyone to come to repentance. Friends, isn't that a good thing? Isn't that an amazing truth? And as you reflect on this, can you can you even begin to get your head around how much patience God must have with us to delay that day of His return? I wonder, have you ever had that experience with somebody, uh, you know, like a friend of uh, me? I'm not saying Joel Deacon fits this category, but you know, somebody who just knows how to push your buttons. You know, somebody who like has, a, it's as if they've got a manual for like how to do every single thing that you hate. You ever had those kind of relationships with people where they just keep day after day just annoying you and annoying you and annoying you until you feel like you want to explode? You had those experiences? I want you to imagine that you are a creator and that you've created a world and you've put people in it You've created them to relate to you. How do you think you would feel having those people that belong to you say day after day, Pfft, God, <laughs> it's a fairy tale. He doesn't exist. You're telling me that God is going to come back and hold me to account? I don't think so. No, come on, that's not going to happen. I don't want to have anything to do with God's rules. That stuff that He says that I've got to do, man, it's so archaic, it's so restrictive. God only wants to spoil my fun. He doesn't have any idea what's best for me. You know, this this world that we are living in, all this matter, all this physical stuff, it just is. God didn't create it. It just happened. Day after day after day, people in this world curse the name of God. Can you imagine the patience that God must have to say, not yet, not today, not yet, a little bit longer. There are more yet to come, more to be saved, not yet. Friends, please please understand that we are here today, we are drawing breath today only because of the patience of God. God wants you and he wants me to turn to his son Jesus in repentance and faith so that we wouldn't perish. And so can I say, I I don't know everybody in this room, and so if you're here tonight and you have not done that, can I urge you to consider the fact that maybe God has not sent his son Jesus back just yet because he's waiting for you? Because he wants you to come back to him? Can I urge you, if you haven't done that yet, then do so, because one day it will be too late. God's kindness to us is supposed to lead us to repentance. The delay of Jesus, the return of Jesus is being delayed. That's the fourth thing that the New Testament teaches us about the timing of Christ's return. And so that is, I think, a little bit of a survey for us about what the Bible says about the the what and the when of Jesus' return. And so there's one final question we've got to deal with, and really it's the most important question. It's the so what question. It's the question of, well, what difference is this supposed to make in my life? Uh, and, and that's a really important question to ask. It's the most important question to ask, I think, for us. Because uh, if, if we just get to the end of this topic and this series and we think to ourselves, oh, like that was interesting, cool. I've got to, I took some good notes during that sermon, and like, I think I know how to answer some people now who have some funky ideas, and I can, I can get into some good debates with people on this now because I know what the Bible says. Like, if you come away from this series and that is what you're thinking, then quite frankly, I have done a poor job, and we've all just wasted our time. Um, because Jesus' return is not meant to be for us kind of like some theological sudoku puzzle that we just kind of have fun like playing around with and seeing if we can figure it out. The return of Jesus is not a topic for speculation, but preparation. See, the point of doing this is not like write the notes in your bulletin and learn it. The point is write this stuff in your heart and live it. That's The return of Jesus is supposed to make a radical difference to the way that you live your life every single day. So we've got to think about this question. What difference does it make? How does it change the way that we live? Let me offer you three quick points of application for what our response should be to the return of Jesus. First point of application is that we should long for the return of Jesus. We should long... For the return of Jesus. Have you ever been lovesick? You know, that, that kind of feeling where you, you're like you're separated from the person that you love? You ever done a long distance relationship? Catherine and I did. When we were dating, Catherine went and lived over in Germany for a year whilst I stayed here in Australia, and it sucked. It was like the worst year of my life. I was a wreck that year to be away from the person that I wanted to be with. I was I was a total shambles. I couldn't wait for that year to be over so I could be reunited with Catherine. You know that feeling? Friends, how much more should we feel lovesick About being away from our Saviour Jesus. Two Peter chapter three, Peter writes Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. What sort of what sort of people should we be, guys? We should be those who, who look forward to that day. Is that you? Do you look forward to that day? And not just look forward, says Peter. Are you someone who speeds its coming? You know That word is kind of hastening. It's the idea of like you just want to kind of hurry this thing up and like, come on, it can't get here quick enough. Is that you? Now, please, as I ask you these questions, I'm not trying to suggest that like you must... Desire the return of Jesus every waking second of your life. That's not kind of how this works. Even when you're lovesick with a, a person here on earth, like you don't spend every waking second just longing for return with them. That's that's not what I'm getting. What I'm what I'm asking you is simply, do you ever long for the return of Jesus? Do you ever find yourself praying? Just come, Lord Jesus, I want you to return. You know, if you do ever think about the return of Jesus, what what happens to your heart when you think about it? Does it have any effect on your heart? Does your, does your heart skip a beat when you think about seeing Jesus face to face? Are you eager for the return of Christ? Look at what Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Who is Jesus going to give that crown of righteousness to on that final day? It's to everyone who has longed for his appearing. Is that you? I said earlier that some of us have this problem of kind of being frustrated that God is taking too long to return. Uh, But if I'm honest, I reckon a far bigger problem for the majority of us is that we simply would prefer if Jesus didn't come back. (laughs) We would never say that out loud. That's not something we would admit to our Bible study group. But when we think about our lives, we really like our lives, don't we? We like our jobs. We like our relationships. We we like the prospects that we have. We like what we have coming up in our lives, that holiday we've got booked, that promotion that we want to achieve. And so when we think about the return of Jesus, mostly our attitude is, Jesus, please don't come back. At least not until I'm on my deathbed. That would be okay if you returned then and just you know, took me away so I didn't have to face death. But I want to live this life. Please, Jesus, don't come back yet. Uh, most of us would be pretty happy with that. If that resonates with you, can I, can I offer you a warning tonight? It's, and it's a warning that I'm giving you out of love. The warning is this. That is an incredibly dangerous attitude to have. If that's how you think, you don't want Jesus to come back because you like the here and now as it currently is, can I tell you what you're doing? You're flirting with the world. You are trying to serve two masters, and Jesus says that that can't end well. Uh, As Catherine and I have been getting closer and closer to eventually meeting our second child, it's about four weeks away now, uh, I found myself being really conscious uh, over these last few months that I'm in the midst of a really major danger. And it's the danger that I would be so looking forward to meeting my second child that what would end up happening is that I would actually lose some affection for Jesus and that I actually wouldn't want Jesus to come back. I've been conscious of that danger uh, over the course of this pregnancy. And I want to share with you that because of that, I've found myself praying more than I ever have uh, at any other point in my Christian life Come, Lord Jesus. I pray with my daughter, I pray with my wife. My whole family is singing this tune at the moment. We're praying, Come, Lord Jesus, because we want to remind ourselves that seeing our Lord face to face is going to be infinitely better than anything that we could experience here in this life. And look, I'm not telling you that to try and boast. It's by the grace of God that I've been reminded of these things, and and please as well, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty tonight. That's not my intention. Uh, What I am trying to do though is to stir your hearts a little bit, to help you to long for Jesus. I think it's good for us to remember. uh, It's it's good for us to remember that Jesus longs for us too. You conscious of that? Remember what Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer in John 17 before he faced the cross and returned to his father? Remember that, that great hope that Jesus prayed for? John 17, he prays this, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. You see, Jesus longs to be reunited with you. This is a two-way street. Isn't that good? So, maybe, friends, you need to start praying that prayer a little bit more frequently in your life. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I know that your coming is going to be better than anything here and now. That's the first way that we should respond by longing for the return of Jesus. Second way is that we should live holy lives as we wait for his return. Uh, this truth of Jesus one day coming and us standing before Him, it should drive us. It should motivate us to pursue holiness and righteousness. It should motivate us to kill sin. It should motivate us towards holiness. The Apostle John put it this way He said, All who have this hope in Him, Purify themselves just as he is pure. All who have this hope in one day seeing Jesus face to face, what do they do? They purify themselves just as he is pure. The return of Jesus has got to motivate you to pursue holiness. Peter puts it like this a little bit differently. He says, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, And at peace with him. Do you ever think about when Jesus returns on that final day? What is he going to see in the world? There have been so many instances recorded for us in the Bible where where God looks down on his creation and he is disappointed with what he sees. You think about when God looks at the world in the time of Noah and he just thinks to himself, What are you people doing? What is all this? he, He looks at Sodom and Gomorrah and he says, I hate what you are doing. You think about those times where God looks at the world and what he sees in it. And then remember that every single one of those times where where God looks down on the world, he doesn't just see evil. He finds a righteous person, doesn't he? He finds Noah, that lone righteous man, still holding on to his faith. He, He sees Lot not going along with this flood of evil in Sodom and Gomorrah. He considers Job, that one righteous man, that one righteous man in the midst of all this evil. And what Peter is trying to say to us here is that when Christ returns, let us be those righteous people that Jesus finds. May God look down on us and say, there's a woman, there's a man who is spotless and blameless and pure and at peace. There's someone who didn't get carried away with all that stuff in the world, who didn't get polluted by sin. This is a person who has purified themselves. Friends, if If Jesus returned tonight, would he be able to say that about you? That you are pure? Friends, when Jesus comes back, I don't want to be ashamed. That fills me with dread, that idea, that Jesus would come back and find me in the midst of some sin. I want Jesus to find me ready for him. Don't you want that? I think we we've got to try we've got to let ourselves be motivated by this reality that the day is coming and we are to be found pure and blameless and at peace when he returns. That's the second thing. Thirdly, lastly as I finish, if the return of Jesus teaches us anything, it teaches us that our time is short, right? Our time is short and then life is really going to begin after Jesus returns. And so what we've got to see is that we've got to use this delay That God is giving us well. We've got to use this time that God gives us. Because none of us knows when Jesus is going to return. None of us knows how much time we have left. And so it would be utterly crazy, wouldn't it, to squander this time that we've got? If you really do believe that Jesus is one day going to return and wrap up history, then you would be crazy to waste your time and your energy and your money on things that don't matter. Look, the honest truth is that this life is just like a game of Monopoly, right? It doesn't matter how you play the game of Monopoly, spoiler alert, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're the most fiercely competitive person in the world, like Joel Deacon. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you build an empire. It doesn't matter if you become a pauper. It doesn't matter if you go bankrupt. It doesn't matter if you win. It doesn't matter if you lose. Because at the end of the day, everything gets wiped off the board and put back in the box. Friends, none of us can enter the next life with anything in our hands. So let me ask you a tough question. Does your life make sense in light of Christ's return? Are you using the delay that God has given us well, or are you wasting it? Uh, There's a famous uh, missionary called C.T. Studd, and he wrote uh, a poem, which you might have heard some of, but I want to read you a few verses from his poem uh, to close here. A few verses from his poem. It says this. Two little lines I heard one day, Travelling along life's busy way, Bringing conviction to my heart, And from my mind would not depart, Only one life till soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now, let me say Thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call... I know I'll say, 'twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Friends, our salvation is nearer today than the day when we first believed. And so let's be people who long for the return of Jesus. Let's be people who lead holy lives as we wait. And let's be people who use this delay as best we possibly can. Let's pray together well god thank you for the sure certainty of jesus return god we want to confess that so often we have been impatient with you when all the long all the while you are being incredibly patient with us god we we want to confess that too often we have desired the things of this world rather than christ himself when he returns so god please forgive us for those things Please help us to be captivated by that vision of Jesus returning in his glory. To bring completion to all of the promises of the gospel. And please help us to long for that. God, please stir us out of apathy or boredom or disinterest and help us to long for that day. Help us to live for that day. Help us to live crazy, radical, countercultural lives. Lives where we sacrifice ourselves and, and pour ourselves out for the good of the gospel and the good of this world. Because that's the only life that makes sense. And Lord, please help us to use this delay well, especially to help people to find refuge in you before that day is too late. We ask for these things in Christ's name. Amen.